He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, May 29, 2021, episode 46. Again, dedicated to Bella Thales. I have the latest information on that case, and it's coming right up. This show features Scott Levin from the Anti-Defamation League. Anti-Semitism rearing its ugly head in America and elsewhere. Let's talk about it with Scott. Then a great discussion with Peter Ambler because mass shootings, what a problem. Combine it with hate, combine it with mental illness, and that brings us back to Bella Thales. Peter Ambler is the executive director of Gifford's organization, Named for Gabby Giffords, who is fortunately still alive, but she got shot through the head. Courageously carries on like James Brady did before, press secretary for Ronald Reagan. Bottom line, there are victims of violence out there, including Bella Thales. Let me give you an update on that matter. We have found out that the AK-47 used against Bella and her boyfriend, Darian Simon, Wielded by the perpetrator, whose name I do not like to say, he was a friend of a Denver police sergeant, Dan Politica. Last week, I broke the news that Dan Politica was no longer a member of the police department. Actually, I broke it two weeks ago with Josh Thales. Last week, we had on Gabby Decidu. Thank you to the Washington Post, Westward, Court TV, Nine News, Fox 31, and other media outlets, Denver Post, for picking up on this mystery of the AK-47. And now let's advance this story because I did what you can do. Go to Google, type in Dan Politica, P-O-L-I-T-I-C-A, and a company called Tyrant Arms, LLC. What is Tyrant Arms LLC? What kind of a gun business? Does it still exist? These are the questions that we want answered for Joshua Thales, for Bella's mother, Anna, for my side of the case, Darian Simon. He deserves these answers. And the answers are out there. I believe there is truth. How did that gun come into the possession of this perpetrator? On this Memorial Day weekend, I think about Isabella Joy Thales, and you should too. There are going to be events honoring her memory. I went to a place that I encourage you to go, Isabella Joy Thales Gardens, 17th and Park, an incredible mural, picture, portrait of Isabella by an artist named I.M. Detour. What a great work. Heartfelt memories on the wall as well. A garden, a place to reflect. There will be events, and my little part is to try 
to get at the truth. I bet somebody out there knows more than I do about Tyrant Arms LLC, but I have been around this gun debate, and I will tell you this. When people talk about tyranny or tyrant, they are on the part of the Second Amendment debate that stands for the proposition that you don't need a gun to protect your home and your family. You need it to fight the government if it turns tyrannical. And that's why they load up with the biggest weapons they can to fight the government. Let that sink in. Tyrant Arms LLC. What is the meaning of that? And who are those people? And how many of those people are the kind of people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th? I've watched the Oath Keepers. I've heard their slogan, not on our watch, not on my watch. I heard that from hosts on my station back in the day, 710 KNUS. And this disinformation, which as you will hear on this show, leads people to believe things that aren't true. Well, that comes from broadcasts and people who feed that kind of misinformation. And we're going to call that out because there is truth out there. And this show is dedicated to finding it. And especially for Darian Simon and all the people who loved Bella Thalys. That's the least we can do on this Memorial Day weekend. So there's the new information about Dan Politica and his apparent ownership of a company called Tyrant Arms LLC. Why was a Denver police sergeant in this business? Does this business have something to do with the perpetrator? The answers are out there, and we are determined to find it out, and we will. Here now is the order of the show. We start with my troubadour. He's sensational. Dave Gunders, he's so busy between his lookout renovation work and he does such a good job fixing up other people's homes just the way they like them. But he fixes songs all the time. He's a songwriter and his song this week just captures the way a lot of people are feeling about missing Isabella. And then after our troubadour, I talk with my friend Scott Levin. Scott Levin from the ADL. He's in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. And then I identify a situation which struck me as anti-Semitic. How about you? Please give a listen as I discuss Marjorie Taylor Greene and gun glorification and conspiracy theories and the big lie. And the big lie is told on the Peter Boyle show on 710 KNUS. Listen to what he said. Make your own evaluation. This is going to be an impactful show. Peter Ambler from Giffords.org. If you like this show and if you want to skip ahead, we have it all listed for you. The time that each segment hits. Thanks for listening. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Happy summer. Troubadour, you have done it again. Way to go. Chop wood, carry water. It is one of my new favorite songs. Hi, Craig, and thanks for that. Tell us about Chop Wood, Carry Water. Uh, Let's talk about the music first. 
it's all you. It's guitar. Yeah. And I know you can play the guitar. Did you play several on this or just yeah, one? I did acoustic guitar, and then I play my Strat, my trusty Strat as a lead throughout. So, um, and that's, that's, that's basically the song, Guitars. It's classic Dave Gunder. It's not just the music, but this is from the heart. I like this voice of yours, and it's got the elements of Mountain Stream. Always you return to nature, but I'm thinking about Memorial Day, and this is a narrator who has suffered a very hard loss. Am I right? Yes. And he's to the point that he's mulling over what could I have done, this, that, the other thing, and... On this Memorial Day weekend, when we lose something, we think, what could I have done? It's natural. This song really expresses that. Yes, and the, and even the, well, the name Chop Wood Carry Water is, um, he, he actually retreats from society in the midst of, of this loss. He can't deal with it, and he goes off by himself, and his, he's trying to keep his, his um, consciousness in a very narrow framework. So he's chopping wood, carrying water for his for his existence, but trying not to go other places with his thoughts. Right. Because loss is so hard. And the last several shows have been dedicated to Bella Thalys. And you have provided beautiful songs. I know it meant a lot to the family. And I think this one is really for the men who Isabella Joy Thalys left behind. And that would be her father, Joshua Thalys, who bared his soul to us. And then there's my client, Darian Simon, her boyfriend who loved her, who has suffered these gunshots, and he wishes he could have caught all the bullets. But he is suffering physically and psychologically, and I think your song means a lot in this may sound strange and selfish because I never knew her, but I love Bella. She was such a beautiful, bright spirit, and everything I've heard about her, she was an angel on earth. And this weekend, as I celebrate my son graduating Cherry Creek, I think about a few short years ago when Joshua and Anna Thales celebrated their daughter's graduation from Cherry Creek. This is personal. This is this is really personal uh, to me. And your songs are just perfect for capturing the moment. How do you think that happens, that you keep writing songs that are perfect for what I'm feeling? <laughs> well, I, I guess I have a lot in the catalog, and so there's you can reach into them. But I think you're also good at... at uh, you know, finding something and and uh, seeing the connection, and uh, and also, Craig, I appreciate your empathy when you say you love you love Isabella, and uh, and I think people who listen to you see you as a very empathetic person. Chopwood Carry Water isn't just special to me; it was special enough for you to name one of your albums after this song. So this must mean a lot to you, right? And the the simple sentiments, I just love it. How does a songwriter like you decide which song gets the title of the album. I like that title. And it's, um, I think, so it was, I like the song a lot, but the title has, uh, ha has a ring to it. And it, it's a very Zen sounding uh, title. Without further ado, from our troubadour, Dave Gunders, Chopwood, Carry Water, dedicated to Darian Simon, 
and Joshua Thales, and everybody who loves and misses Isabella Joy Thales on this Memorial Day weekend. Thank you. Everybody here wants a chance Just to dance Or just to disappear Cause you make a young man's dream come true It's only you No other girl comes near And I guess that night I knew inside The storm was coming Nothing I could really do Cause I have the taste of your sweet love And it's hard to rise above The pain of losing you I realized my suspicion When I caught her And I take my rest by a mountain stream Try to keep my mind from what I see She never shared my love Never listened to what I taught her Chop wood, carry water And I dreamed of golden apples So I stopped to pick them up They weighed me down And I do not break my stride I'm gonna close the gap Till I reach a side I'm gonna take you down She came at last into my grasp But disappeared as I caught her What did I do? Can't face the truth Chop wood, carry water
tell you what we do and we don't do at Springer and Steinberg. We do almost everything. We do not do end-of-life planning. That's Michael Bailey. But for all your other legal needs, give me a call. 303-861-2800. 303-861-2800. I look forward to speaking with you. Michael Bailey, you've been a lawyer for a decade and a half. I have that beat because I'm a lot older, but you and I have something in common. Uh, We both pride ourselves on being good attorneys, and I've shared with you a little list I have, 20 ways to be a good lawyer. Do you want to go through a few of these right now, and we'll keep going on future talks? What about number one, behave yourself? What does that mean to you? I mean, there's a whole slew of things that you can do as an attorney that are unbecoming or unseemly. You know, whether you break the ethical rules or if you just do things that are a little bit sneaky and underhanded, there's no need to do that. You do it the right way. You do it above board. They need a steady, reliable person like you. Give out your contact information. Sure. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. That's how you get a hold of me. I mean, my my website is michaelbaileylawllc.com. And again, that's michaelbaileylawllc.com. You can get a hold of me that way, too. If you want to keep following this story, then please subscribe on whatever podcast medium by which you acquire this sound. And then leave a positive review. More than anything, push the podcast to your friends. Let them listen. Thank you. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Hello, Craig. Hello, Scott Levin, head of the Rocky Mountain region of the Anti-Defamation League. How are you? I am doing fine. Thanks for your flexibility. I am nothing if not flexible to accommodate (laughs) having you on my podcast this busy week. I mean, the ADL is in the middle of everything. First of all, tell my audience that you are qualified to be in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Well, I am qualified to be in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge since I've known Craig since I was about 14 years old. Uh, But I'm also qualified because I practiced law actively for about 30 years. And then I have been the director of the Mountain States region of the ADL for about 10 and a half years. And you have a lot on your plate right now. Thanks for making time. 
uh, on Thursday of this week, there was a day of action called for by the Anti-Defamation League and a number of other Jewish organizations. Tell everybody about that. Yeah, it was really a wonderful thing. Unfortunately, there was a need for it. We've been facing a tremendous surge in anti-Semitic incidents since the uh, conflict that was being uh, going on in Israel-Palestine at this time. Uh, and unfortunately, that's uh, led to a lot of hate that's going on in this country and uh, a lot of people in the Jewish community feeling very much under duress. So all of, a number of national organizations, including the ADL, uh, got together. And I think last I had seen, it was probably close to 25,000 people across the country had signed up for it. And it had everyone speaking from all sides of the political spectrum, uh, whether it was Kevin McCarthy or Nancy Pelosi, uh, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, people from the administration, people from uh, basketball stars and celebrities, all coming out to speak out against anti-Semitism and hate. I like Ray Allen because I'm partial to hoops, as you know, because you've <laughs> followed my career, but I've followed yours. and. Yeah. I was interested in the title, Here I Am, a Veteran Jewish Fellow from Denver Like You, and I don't know what action I'm supposed to take. Could you inform me if I witness anti-Semitism, what should I do? Well, uh, first of all, if you witness anti-Semitism that is uh, something that is violent or threatening in nature, you need to call the police right away. Law enforcement has to be involved about, with it. Um, also letting the ADL know, because we collect data on anti-Semitic incidents. I'm one of those people that believes that you can't manage what you don't measure. And so it's important to know that. Uh, for instance, we know that uh, 2019, 2020, we had the most number of anti-Semitic incidents in Colorado than we've had uh, you know, in at least my 10 years of working there, if not since we started reporting out on that data in the late 1970s. And the same is true nationally. Uh, nationally in, uh, in 2020, we had uh, 2,024 incidents. And while that was uh, declined by a few percent from the year before, 2019 and 2020 across the country saw the most number of anti-Semitic incidents. So reporting is really important. Sure, especially if there's violence or a threat. But what if it's just right. uh, anti-Jewish talk? Stuff that, that you hear, then, then should we call the ADL? Are, are you guys yeah. the arbiter of who and what is anti-Semitic? No, I don't know that we're necessarily the arbiter of that. We do get called uh, oftentimes to call the bowels and strikes, if you can, in this area, because... Uh, it's not always easy to discern what is actual anti-Semitism or not. Uh, yes, calling the ADL can be an absolute positive thing to do. But I think also if it's safe to do so, I would tell you the same whether it's anti-Semitism, racism, homophobia, Islamophobia or anything else. I think you need to call it out when you see it. And that we sort of have to change the culture right now where people are feeling it just too comfortable to call to use the hateful kind of language that that we're now seeing in these past and is it is it up to the individual jew or non-jew to call it out without necessarily going through the adl well i think uh, certainly being calling it out yourself if it's safe to do so is is an important thing to do 
uh, one of the things that we have to do in the area of anti-Semitism, as we do in the other isms, is to recognize... Sorry, See, they're, they're calling it, it out. My, we have dogs, Yeah, my too. dog's calling it out. Yeah. Right. One of the things that we have to do is recognize that not all criticism of uh, Israel or criticism of Jew, for that matter, is necessarily anti-Semitism. Um, and, and as it relates to what's been going on of late, you know, it's okay to criticize the government of Israel. It's okay to criticize the policies of Israel. But when it crosses a line into where you are saying that there should not be a sovereign Jewish state, when it crosses the line where you're protesting what's going on and you show up at a Jewish person's house in the United States or a synagogue or a business that's owned by a Jew and you condemn them for what's happening in Israel, those things are anti-Semitism. And I think if it's safe to do so, Everybody should call that out, not just Jewish people. What if somebody makes the argument, hey, all the Jews vote for Joe Biden. That's stupid because he's really against them. So are the Democrats. And it's really the evangelicals and the Republicans and Donald Trump who are going to save the Jewish people. And the Jewish people need to wise up or get what they deserve. What do you do with language like that? I mean, Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene, in effect, said that this past week, right? Yeah, unfortunately, so did uh, Ron Dermer, the former ambassador. So, right. It can know, come from the, Jewish people, too, sometimes. That's exactly but, right. But you got to call it out when Dermer does it, too. Yes, absolutely. And this really shouldn't be a partisan issue. Unfortunately, everything in America has become a partisan issue. That's going on. But in, in my belief, it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who's in power, what the government is. You can't stand for the anti-Semitism that comes from it. Certainly, from some people's perspective, and I certainly appreciate it, there are parts of what Donald Trump did that were terribly supportive of the people of Israel. And whether you agree with his policies on other things or not, you have to recognize that he did some things that were very positive to strengthen Israel. But that doesn't mean that the next administration, whether it's Democrat or Republican, Joe Biden or somebody else, is less a friend of Israel. There are lots of different ways in which that support is given. Right now, it doesn't, you know, uh, Democratic administrations uh, that established the Iron Dome and uh, provided for so much of the safety and security of Israel. At the same time, Republican administrations sought appropriate to move the embassy to Jerusalem. Both of these things should be things that we, if you're a supporter of Israel, you would applaud. What about Marjorie Taylor Greene? She'd probably say she's a supporter of Israel, but she's with QAnon. And she said that stuff about, hey, making us wear a mask is like making those Jews wear the, she called it gold stars. But uh, tell us <laughs> the ADL response to all yeah. of that. Absolutely. Holocaust analogies are just never acceptable. The Holocaust is a singular event in history where, you know, the worst mass murder that's happened in modern times was during the Holocaust where people were killed for no other reason than the fact that they were Jews. So when somebody trivializes it in a way of comparing, putting a mask on to being like the Nazis, uh, you know, somehow imposing things, that is just horrific. But again, it's also a reflection, I think, not just of what's going on in COVID. We've been seeing this for 
you know, the past uh, five to ten years where the vile nature of the political discourse has been that anything that people don't like, they want to compare to the Nazis. And can you just imagine, as you and I so personally can do, when you know people who survived the Holocaust or you know people who lost uh, people in the Holocaust, to compare it to the fact that you don't like the enforcement of a speed limit or you don't like the enforcement of a mask law or something else to Nazis, it's just horrible. And then she doubled down and she said any rational Jewish person would agree with her. Kind of like that statement, any rational Jewish person would vote for Donald Trump. And I don't like that kind of talk about what a rational Jewish person should do. We're all individuals, correct? That's right. And we're not, and we're not all rational either, are we? Right. <laughs> so, no, look, the reality is that's what makes America America. Nobody, just because of their identity, is expected to vote one way, live one way, act one way. Everybody has the freedom to act in different ways. But more important, I think, her comment sort of ties to a terrible trope, which is, is that the belief that Jews have dual loyalty, that they're not just loyal to this country, but that they're loyal to Israel. And therefore, how could a Jew in this country do something from her perspective that would harm Israel? And that's just BS, because uh, there is not a dual loyalty that's out there. And different people have different ways of showing their support to all kinds of other countries or issues. Now, we all have individual decisions to make about calling out anti-Semitism if we witness it. But when the Anti-Defamation League does it, that's a big deal. In the past, we've talked about Michelle Malkin, who uh, is a proud mother to the Proud Boys, the Groypers. And the ADL condemned her. And you can look that up. I encourage you to do so. I've had my own run-in with Michelle Malkin, but I never have with Tucker Carlson. And when the ADL condemned Tucker Carlson, tell us about that, Scott, because that that was a big deal. He's the biggest star on the biggest conservative channel. What went into that decision? Well, I think that uh, what, what the concern about Tucker Carlson is, and the concern about many different people now, is that they are adopting and empowering the language of the extremists that are out there. And when you uh, give the power to the white supremacists and to these other organizations like the ones that you mentioned, that in and of itself is not just bad for Jewish people, but that's bad for the country and anybody that isn't just, doesn't look just like Tucker Carlson. And the problem, I think, in the Tucker Carlson area is really easy. You can find that the words he uses and speaks sometimes are the same ones that you'll find on 4chan being spoken by some of the most vile extremist groups that are out there. And uh, Mr. Carlson did not like the fact that he's been called out on that. What about the blowback? I bet the ADL got a lot. Did Tucker Carlson lose anything from that condemnation? Or are you guys just, did you make an enemy for life? You know, uh, well, I don't think that we were ever necessarily in the friend camp with him before, but I, I think that it is true. There are, Everybody in today's polarized world is looking at all of these issues through their own lens. And um, when I, what I talk a lot about these days is, is people aren't really talking facts at each other. They're talking about their own truths. And, you know, if your truth is 
in the Tucker Carlson camp, uh, no fact is going to change your mind, unfortunately. That doesn't change us from doing what we do. We're going to call them as we see them. We're not going to do it based on any politics or partisan nature of what it is. When we see the hate, we're going to condemn it from whatever that source might be, right or left. That's where we have an advantage, both of us familiar with courtrooms and believing that the truth is out there. And if you ask good questions of the right people, you can get to that bottom line. The Congress through the Senate, because they have a filibuster, just blocked a bipartisan inquiry into January 6th. I've not talked to you since that day. Uh, We haven't had the benefit of you on the air. Your reaction as an American, as a Coloradan, just uh, your thoughts about January 6th? Uh, It's just as devastating to me um, uh, for all of those reasons that you've said, just as being an American and a citizen. um, From a perspective of the ADL, it's also whenever there is this kind of dissension that happens in the country, it's never good for anybody that's in one of the minorities, Jewish or otherwise, that's out there because we so often get caught into these crosshairs. But for me, I also, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I went to college in Washington, D.C. I interned on the Hill in Washington, D.C. I go back a lot for meetings to Washington, D.C. So I was just devastated when I saw those first pictures of the guy walking across the rotunda carrying a Confederate flag you know, in the halls of Congress. I understood what that historical implication was. But it was also this empowerment that was done for the people that used to be under the rocks to crawl out from them now and to blazingly go and do something like that is really difficult uh, to even swallow in this country. This isn't a freedom of expression. This isn't just tourists on a spree. These were people that were going in to stop a legitimate vote from taking place in Congress. And that is really sad for the United States. And the majority of them were white supremacists in different shapes and forms, the leaders of what to me was an organized insurrection, a coup d'etat. And now through misinformation broadcast on talk radio and other forums, 73% of Republicans believe that it was the left that really created and perpetrated January 6th. Can you believe that? No, our Center on Extremism at the ADL, which are just experts at uh, researching, monitoring, and analyzing things on the right, have been able to identify, I think now we're over 400 of the 800 people that breached the Capitol on that day. And I haven't seen the latest statistics, but one of the earlier ones I had seen was indicating that at least... Um, uh, 25%, give or take, of that group that they've identified are people that had expressed ties with some of the white supremacist and other extremist organizations. Right, but, so, they're, you know, they're, but they're, every, the right is blaming it on the left. And uh, what are you going to do? If we, I, I, we're going to have all these trials, and yet the disinformation spreads. It's the scariest thing that I've seen in my life. It is. Um, you and I both read a lot of American history, and we've, we we know what this means. But, you know, it's it's like the same people that are claiming that the election 
was a fraud when there is you know no proof of any kind of widespread fraud that had taken place and it's almost again back to that thing it doesn't matter what facts you're showing some of these people they're going to stick to their truth and i wanted to ask you as a representative of the adl i i think you've identified it when donald trump well before the election said it was going to be rigged the only way he could lose if it was fixed and then he kept going with that. And even though he knew the mailed-in ballots that disfavored him would be counted later, he made a big deal out of that. He lost court battle after court battle, yet he persists. And people like me, Jewish people like me, label it the big lie. With all the implications of those two words, the capital B, the capital L, am I going too far? You just said you don't go to Nazi yeah. metaphors, right? <laughs> You, you are you are right about that, um, it, and it is. And the big lie, of course, goes back to uh, Joseph Goebbels and Hitler and, and what the Nazis were saying. But um, about the Jews I, stabbing about, Germany in the back, and that's uh, right. And and eventually, this big lie, we know who it's going to get around to. But is it okay to use the capital B and the capital L? Uh, I, it's something that I would prefer we didn't use, but I prefer we don't use it for two reasons. One is the Holocaust analogy, and the second is, is I don't think it adequately explains exactly what's going on. It, we shouldn't be saying the big lie about the, that the election was fraudulent. We need to really explain that because I think so many people just tune out when they hear any kind of platitude or shorthand that's being given for it. But I'm also very, very concerned because you know, when we have the country, there are, there are a lot of people that um, were not happy when Donald Trump was originally elected. They, it took them, it took some people weeks before they would use the word president and Trump together. They, it was painful to them, just as I know it is painful for conservatives or Republic, many Republicans at this time to acknowledge that Donald Trump is the, that Joe Biden is the current president. But it seems those people five years ago got over it. Um, they never liked the fact that Donald Trump was the president. They worked against him. That's the way the American system works. But we have something different going on now because now it's the belief that he was, that the current president was not legitimately elected. And that, that just takes everything to a, a deeper level. And where I'm sorry as an American about this is having a bipartisan investigation of it um, is really what we need. We know there'll be an investigation. The Democrats in the House, I'm sure, will summons people and do it. But it is just a different nature when it's not the entire Congress working together. And they should do this whether they were Democrats or Republicans at fault here. There are some things that I personally believe are higher and of greater value than the partisan nature of the next election. Right. And something just tells me that eventually this will get down to a threat to the Jewish people. It's an extension, January 6th, of what we saw not far away in Charlottesville. Things that we never thought we would see in our life and times. That's why I think you have one of the most important jobs that anybody could possibly have, Scott. Uh, how are you holding up? Well, I'm tired. The, past, the last few weeks have been a bit exhausting because, you know, it's hard. Uh, the conflict that was going on in the Middle East, it doesn't matter whether it was a Muslim life or a Jewish life. You've got to feel horrible for what was happening. But again, how people have reacted to it in our country and the, and the lengths they've gone to 
to express their anti-Semitism has been very, very difficult. And I think that, you know, you're right. Oftentimes when there is this kind of dissension that's happening, we um, get into a situation where it does come back to the Jewish people. You know, we found with the COVID conspiracies about that, you know, the Chinese people in America, horrible the way that they were have been treated, the AA, NHPI community, um, and to be blamed for something that may have happened in Wuhan or another place in China. But there is a large number of people that have blamed the Jews for the virus. And, they, and, if, and if the Jews didn't originally cause it, then they're going to profit from the vaccines from it. So all of these kind of dissension that goes on and the polarization, unfortunately, it does often come back to the oldest hatred that's out there, which is anti-Semitism. Right. And it's conspiracy theory stuff. We touched on QAnon. Is that a big threat, a little threat? Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a big threat that's becoming a bigger threat because it's another way. The QAnon conspiracies are just another spin in a way of ignoring facts that are out there and relying on some of the most outrageous conspiracies. And uh, as you know, Craig, anti-Semitism itself is just a giant conspiracy theory. Um, that's out there. It's a conspiracy theory that Jews somehow control the world or that, that Jews are the cause of all of these different kinds of problems. And it's that Gentile that, blood that we drink from babies. Oh, the I worst. Mean, yes. I yeah, mean, the blood, the blood libel it, it, it is, is perhaps a blood one of the worst. Libel. And the thing that's different, and maybe you have to dance around it, maybe not, but I, I, I don't. It's part of the reason I do this podcast. The thing that makes it different is that the former president at Mar-a-Lago is supportive of this, and he supports the claim that uh, the election was rigged, he really won. He supports Marjorie Taylor Greene. He supports Lauren Boebert. And again, that's what makes this time different and more frightening. And you don't need to comment on that, because I know you want people on all sides and people who voted for Donald Trump. And uh, I understand that too, but that's the thing that's got me going. Does the ADL ever, I mean, have you guys talked about a position paper on Donald Trump like you do on Tucker Carlson and Michelle Malkin? Um, certainly we have called out Donald Trump when uh, we thought that it merited doing so as we've, as we've called out other people that are there. And look, there's no really way to dance around it anymore. The, um, the haters have been out there since longer than Donald Trump. He, he didn't cause all these haters to come about. But one of the main things that we do in the ADL is, is when the hate occurs, whether it's against Jews or Muslims or anybody else that's out there, is we call on leaders to lead and to speak out against it because that's just so important. But when you have a leader, as Donald Trump did, that often fed some of these kinds of things that was going on, rather than condemning it, it gave permission. And my my personal perspective on all of this is, is the haters are going to always be there. The anti-Semites, we're never going to get rid of all of them. But what we really need them to do is go back under the rocks where they used to hide. Um, now they're just so much more emboldened. And you combine that with the fact that social media and the way that we've broken up uh, into a million different voices on cable TV and other sources of news that are out there is there's just so much of an easier platform for these people that have crawled out from under the rocks to do so. Well said. 
And let's end on a happy note, because I did watch Joe Biden preside at that first really maskless ceremony where they honored the Korean War vet and signed the anti-Asian hate legislation. I expect you watch that because he was magnificent, don't you think? I do. And part of that was we've been working on the No Hate Act for several years now, uh, which is now what's got combined in the anti-Asian American uh, bill that got done. So it's just magnificent to know that we're going to have the power and resources of the federal government around some of these issues. You know, the Department of Homeland Security and several other federal agencies were pretty much forbidden from working on domestic terrorism for four years, um, uh, much to I think our, our chagrin and to, to the negative effect on the country. And now with these acts, to be able to put money, resources, manpower behind fighting domestic uh, terrorism and domestic hate will be a, a great thing. I encourage everybody to join the ADL. You can get interesting polling, as Scott referenced. 75% of Jewish people like me say anti-Semitism has grown during the last five years, they've experienced it. And there was a time in our lives, Scott, where I just felt blessed. I felt like we were living in a time where we didn't have these big worries, even though my parents always warned me. And I bet you heard that too. But these are perilous times, my friends. We need the ADL more than ever. Thanks for what you do. Oh, thank you, Craig. And thanks for having the opportunity to speak with you. All right. Take care, Scott. Shabbat shalom. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, it's my honor to talk to you about the Colorado Hawks. This is a good program helping kids, underprivileged kids, kids with dreams of playing sports, kids who could use help to go to college. The Colorado Hawks produce high-level athletes in boys and girls basketball and girls soccer. The program prides itself on keeping kids off the streets helping underprivileged youth earn opportunities they might not get otherwise. Most importantly, the Colorado Hawks produce an affordable program that has never turned an athlete away due to expense. The Hawks love Nikola Jokic, just like we do, and currently have a t-shirt selling fundraiser with 100% of the proceeds going right back into this program. Head to Jokic for MVP, or if it's easier to spell, and it is, Joker for MVP, J-O-K-E-R for MVP. Get a great high-quality shirt that says, you guessed it, Jokic for MVP. And help a great organization at the same time. Let's come together to support a program that has helped to provide so many opportunities for Colorado's young people. That's Jokic for MVP to buy a shirt with all proceeds going to the Colorado Hawks organization. Thank you. If I had to guess, that's one of the biggest topics that must come up in your practice. How can I provide for my kid's education, my grandchild's education? And aren't there some tax benefits to doing it certain ways, not others? There can be. Depending on how you structure a trust, you can get a tax break on your taxes now. You can get a tax break on any estate tax in the future. So let's say that Donald Sturm has $2 billion, which I don't know if he, how much he's worth now, you know, a lot. 
let's say he's got $2 billion, and he decides to donate all $2 billion to some sort of charities, whether it be the University of Denver School of Law or something like that. Well, if you have, you know, the estate tax limit is $11.7 million. So anything above $11 million would be taxed as an estate. So that would mean if he's got $2 billion and, you know, 40% estate tax, there's something like, you know, $800 million worth of estate tax. He says, well, I don't want to pay that. So I'm going to donate all of it to charitable causes. Well, a donation to a charitable cause is going to be exempt from the estate tax. So then he wouldn't have to pay any estate tax. You know, I don't know if he's that charitably minded. And there's there's certainly a lot of other sophisticated techniques to use to get around estate taxes. But if you're charitably inclined, it certainly can give you quite a tax break, either from an estate tax perspective or an income tax perspective, depending on how you structure things. It's all about planning. That's why I'm so glad I discovered you, Michael, and I get nothing but great feedback. I feel good about sending people your way because it means they can check that off their box of what needs to be done, and they need a steady, reliable person like you. Give out your contact information one more time. Sure. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. That's how you get a hold of me. I mean, my my website is michaelbaileylawllc.com. And again, that's michaelbaileylawllc.com. You can get a hold of me that way too. Now, back to the Craig Silverman Show. Wow, there's been a lot of powerful sound this week. Some of it quite disturbing. I am disturbed by Representative Matt Gates touring the country with the America First Tour special guest Marjorie Taylor Greene. These two Republican Congress members are the face of the Republican Party, and I've not heard of anybody powerful in the Colorado Republican Party put them down. Matt Gates articulated something I tried to explain earlier in the show in reference to Sergeant Dan Politica, who apparently supplied the weapon. I don't know if it was by theft or how the killer gained access to former Sergeant Politica's AK-47, but I have found out that Sergeant Politica is associated with a company that he apparently controls called Tyrant Arms. Now, that's one interpretation of the Second Amendment, and it seems to be shared at Tyrant Arms LLC. I'd like to know more. Maybe you could tell me. But I do know that Matt Gates believes that the Second Amendment is there for people to get an armory to fight the government. All the fake news media, the Second Amendment is not about, it's not about hunting, it's not about recreation, it's not about sports. The Second Amendment is about maintaining within the citizenry the ability to maintain an armed rebellion against the government if that becomes necessary. I hope it never does, but it sure is important to recognize the founding principles of this nation and to make sure that they are fully understood. Matt Gates is not alone. And if you had to guess, is Dan Politica part of Matt Gates' interpretation? And what are the consequences of associating with that kind of opinion? 
and the people who express it, a lot of them into white supremacy, taking up arms against a tyrannical government with, I don't know, too many people of color involved. And how about the people of color and those other liberals who are running Silicon Valley? Are they fair game when it comes to weaponry? Listen to Matt Gates. The Internet's hall monitors out in Silicon Valley, they think they can suppress us, discourage us. Maybe if you're just a little less patriotic, maybe if you just conform to their way of thinking a little more, that you'll be allowed to participate in the digital world. Well, you know what? Silicon Valley can't cancel this movement or this rally or this congressman. We have a second amendment in this country, and I think we have an obligation to use it. Now, you can dismiss this as a troubled member of the Republican Party, but he has been close to Donald Trump, and he's traveling with Marjorie Taylor Crane, who has been praised many times by Donald Trump. And she does not get bothered by Matt Gates for his apparent proclivities toward all sorts of sexual relations, because if you look into her history, it's the same kind of deal. We will see where that criminal investigation goes against Matt Gates, who it's alleged may have been paying for underage women. He denies it. Let's see. But there's no denying that Marjorie Taylor Greene said that being asked to wear a mask is like the Jewish star affixed to my people during the Holocaust. Stephen Colbert took note of this. He also made fun of the way she looks. Her face sometimes can be unusual, but I don't care about her looks. I care about her power, her position, and the things she spews that affects my people, the Jewish people, and the way she doubles down when confronted with a typical tactic of an anti-Semite saying, well, why don't Jews believe this way? Because if they did, they'd be better off. If they wouldn't have so many problems, what's wrong with all those Jews? Wouldn't any rational Jew think the way that I do, says Marjorie Taylor Greene? I give you Stephen Colbert and Congresswoman Greene. Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, seen here, I'm going to say, flirting? Green is a QAnon-believing professional troll whose only motivation is making people talk about her. So let's talk about her. Late last week, Green went on a conservative podcast to complain about the House's mask mandate and made a pretty troubling comparison. You know, we can look back in a time in history where people were told to wear a gold star and they were definitely treated like second-class citizens, so much so that they were put in trains and taken to gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And this is exactly the type of abuse that Nancy Pelosi is talking about. Counterpoint. No, it's not. Green has unleashed a firestorm of criticism for her comments. So this weekend, she doubled down. I said nothing wrong. And I think any any rational Jewish person didn't like what happened in, in Nazi Germany. And any rational Jewish person doesn't like what's happening with overbearing mass mandates and overbearing vaccine policies. Well, we all know that MTG, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Matt Gates love them some guns. 
and they can't have enough guns for them or the people who follow them. But Gavin Newsom, the governor in California, he's had enough, as he expressed midweek, when we had yet another mass shooting, this time in San Jose at the light rail facility. You know, there's a numbness I imagine some of us are feeling about this because there's a sameness to this. You know, anywhere USA. It just feels like this happens over and over and over again. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. It wasn't that long ago I was standing out here talking about the tragic loss of two children, one in a mother's arms, the Gilroy Festival, just here in this community, down in Southern California, and San Bernardino, remember a few years prior, in Santa Barbara. You know, pick a state. And here we are in the United States of America. We're experiencing something just is not experienced anywhere else in the world. There's a sameness to this. And that numbness, I think, is something we're all feeling. All of us gathered here today, looking at this scene, listening to governors, mayors, chiefs, speaking similar tone and terms, expression of condolences, all the right emotions and perhaps the right words, but it begs the damn question, what the hell is going on in the United States of America? What the hell is wrong with us? And when are we going to come to grips with this? When are we going to put down our arms, literally and figuratively, our politics, stale rhetoric, finger-pointing, all the hand-wringing consternation that produces nothing except more fury and frustration, more scenes like this repeated over and over and over again. I say that not as a governor. I just say that as a father of four. I say that as a member of this community, cares deeply about it. So we'll, we'll have time to work through all of that. But one thing I just wanted to briefly speak to is the pain in those victims. I just spent, we just had the privilege of spending the last few hours with the victims that are waiting to just learn if their loved one is still alive. Let's bring this back to local. Let's bring it to local Denver Trump radio and the Peter Boyles show where guns are always glorified. Boyles last week was advertising for the Tanner Gun Show. This is about why it's countless gun advertisements the man has done since he changed from being pro-gun control, pays better to sell guns. And boy, he's sold a lot of them. And he glorifies guns. Listen to this. Greg Abbott. Here's something that Jared Polis will never do. Governor Greg Abbott has signed a resolution naming the 1847 Colt Walker the official handgun of Texas. All right. It was invented by a Texas Ranger that was Walker. That's why when Chuck Norris knocked that off, it was Walker, right? He was America's first six-shooter, the gun of choice U.S. soldiers in the Mexican-American War. How cool is that? And then Boyles goes Marjorie Taylor Greene on us talking about how Jews should vote, why they vote the wrong way, what's wrong with those Jews. Over 90% voted for Biden, which is an exaggeration, which happens with people who have certain feelings about Jews. How many Jews are there in the world? Oh, there's hundreds of millions. No, actually about 18 million. That's all. There was a thing called the Holocaust. Marjorie Taylor Greene talks about it. Nobody talks about it more than... Peter Boyles, who advertised a trip in 2019 to go see the great monuments of the Nazis. I don't know what side he's really on. 
I know that he likes to talk about the Jewish people. Never really a backer of Israel, by the way, Peter Boyles. I've seen this. I've taken him on. I took him on for many, many years in a way that nobody on radio takes him on. And he got tired of it. And he would not talk once he backed Trump. And I didn't like Trump. And I thought he should be impeached. But then Peter Boyles eventually came around to the fact that Trump is a big liar, and he called it the big lie, and he realized the bullshit behind this vote was rigged, all the stuff that led to the insurrection. But now he's in a tough spot because he needs to make money, needs to sell guns, needs to oppose Joe Biden, make him the devil, call him names, China Joe. But for a little bit, it was interesting as Peter Boyles stood up to other conservatives who backed the big lie. But eventually, Boyles has capitulated. His show has gotten less interesting. But he's catering to his crowd, that talk radio crowd. But I can't stand him when he talks about Jews as he did right here. Pro-Palestinian, they're called militia pro-Palestinian gangs attacking Jewish people across this country. And I asked earlier, and it was the second time I'm doing it, if you're a Jewish, Amer- Jewish American listening to the radio show, then give me a call. I'd like to know what you're saying to your family, what your family's saying to you. And again, we're talking about percentage of the voters. I'd risk that 90-plus percent of Jewish Americans vote for Democrats. Now, that's interesting, huh? An exaggeration, if ever I heard it. Sounds like Marjorie Taylor Greene, correct? That boils poses a question that hit me directly since I am a Jew listening at that moment on a Monday morning this past Monday. Again, if I were a Jewish guy and I saw this stuff happening, why would I stay a Democrat? Why would I stay? Because this is part of the far left. The far left has always had a streak of uh, some real weird stuff in it. And certainly they have never been pro-Zionist and they've always been pro-Palestinian. It is so ignorant to say that the Biden administration is anti-Israel or anti-Semitic. Just ignorant. Ron Klain is chief of staff. Tony Blinken, secretary of state. Merrick Garland, attorney general, all proud Jews. What does Peter Boyles know about the Jewish people? He trades on the fact that he says he was friends with Allen Berg, yet I know people very close to Allen Berg who says something quite the contrary, quite the contrary. How jealous Boyles was of Berg when Berg got first billing on 60 Minutes. Why does that ring true to me? Anyway, I don't know. I just hear stories. I heard him this week talk about Stephen Tubbs being in the hospital right as he advertises for Dan Kaplis, the guy who competes against Tubbs. But Boyles more or less runs Denver Trump Radio and all its manifestations. And that's really unfortunate because the guy says things that are worrisome, like implying that the Nazis were people of the left when they were so clearly people of the right, the opposite of the commies. Jews face threats from all sides, but we never forget where the Nazis came from, the far right the same space occupied by those guys chanting Jews will not replace us in Charlottesville. Same kind of white supremacy that was so prevalent at the January 6th insurrection 
and so buy into Donald Trump's big lie. How can a Jew in good conscience support a Dem? What a stupid question to ask. What ridiculous history this guy has. How can you, in good conscience, I mean, I understand all the out cards, but now inside of a country, Jews are randomly being attacked. Let me see, Peter, where'd that ever happen before? Oh, oh, uh, back in the 30s. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, sure, you do too. And now we get to callers. You are not responsible for a caller when you're a host of a talk radio show, but if they say something ignorant or racist, it would be good to respond. Or it seems like an adoption, especially when you say, hey, that's a great call. You can see where this call's going because in response to Peter Boyle's entreaty, a guy named Howie called and he started talking about Mein Kampf and implying that Jews were too sissified. They need to get more aggressive, start cutting people up, shooting them. You know, back to the guns. Read Mein Kampf, cover to cover. It was written in 1923, and you'll find out not what anti-Semitism is, but what anti-Jew is, which is the proper term. Number two, never vote Democrat. They're fools. Number three, carry a knife with you at all times. Number four, if you have a carry permit, carry a gun. Number five, if anybody calls you a dirty Jew on the street, attack immediately. Don't wait. And if you're in a restaurant, grab a knife. If you don't have one in your, on, your, on your premise, on your, on your person, and immediately go for their neck or their eyes. Don't take any crap from anybody. I mean, I'm sure people know uh, there's some really good critiques of the Democrats this morning. One is when it came to support, missile protection support. But this really takes the cake, and that's why I give you a good five minutes of this call where remarkable things are said and not responded to, like the Jews in Germany got what they deserved. Listen for that. Listen for the reaction of the guy who runs Denver Trump Radio. It's disturbing. And, of course, there's the bad history you get from Boyle's. Louis Brandeis was appointed by Woodrow Wilson, and he says FDR appointed him, but he's off, as he is so many times talking about Jewish people. I want you to listen to this, and I want you to tell me if it's anti-Semitic. And while you're at it, ponder these questions as well. What did it really mean when Peter Boyles consistently ripped Jared Polis as Pontius Polis after he got elected governor. Why would somebody call that word Pontius? It only refers in my mind to Pontius Pilate, who was the guy in charge during the crucifixion of Christ. And of course, a lot of anti-Semitism is the blaming of the Jews for that event, blaming Jared Polis, who Peter Boyle's Nonstop reminds people it's a Jewish guy. And who besides Boyles has such a love affair with Pat Buchanan and Jack McManus of the John Birch Society? Didn't William F. Buckley try to rid the Republican Party of those kind of Jew haters? Who does Boyles venerate in the Republican Party? And who does he hate? The neocons, of course, that's code for Jews. And who does he always go after? Saltzman, Hutner, Brownstein, 
Misel, who he calls Misel. Soros, you get the drift. And of course, you know, not to forget his slandering of me, making up stuff, taking the word of a neo-Nazi as he came out, venerating him as a witness against me. Peter Boyles has a lot of explaining to do, and let him explain the way he reacted or did not react during this five-minute call. You, you, can, you can explain away the voting, especially when FDR comes in and legitimately brings you know, Jewish guys into his administration, uh, Frank Furter's on the court, all those things, Justice Brandeis, and also just after the Second World War, when if you were on the right of things, there wasn't any of this analysis where you're a Nazi, which is today, you know, the Democratic platform. If you are a white male and vote for the Republican Party, you're a white supremacist, you're, you know, all the different things. And, and the media's picked that up, and the media state likes that theory. But I wonder over the weekend, particularly now, where now just being a Jewish guy sitting outside in New York having dinner, and you get jumped. And you think to yourself, is that, will anybody change over things like that? I told you what I would do. I'd grab a knife. No, but, but. And I, and I always carry a knife and I would strike. Yeah, but I'm not asking you uh, about you. I'm asking what you sense will happen, what will come from this. Well, the Jews act like they acted in Germany. We're going to have another um, Holocaust. The Jews at, at an early time should have read Mein Kampf. And that's why, I, that's why the first. Oh, yeah thing on my on my list was mm -hmm. to read Mein Kampf, because mm -hmm. these people are not joking. When they say mm -hmm. that they hate Jews, they hate Jews. When they say they want Jews marched into the ocean or wherever they, whatever ovens they want, they mean that. Mm -hmm. And unless people understand that, then they're going to be saying they're going to suffer the same fate that the Jews suffered in Germany. And quite frankly, I have no, I have no pity for those Jews, because they had every opportunity to read Mein Kampf. Mm -hmm. Instead, they used it for toilet paper. Well, they got what they wanted. When you read the history of that, the rise, and, and particularly in the, in, the, in the beginning of the 30s, and there were people that thought they could get away with it. And when you read the internals, um, as a culture, Jews were not gun owners. They were not armed. And so when I hear that uh, about taking away guns. Hitler didn't take away anybody's guns, uh, after, especially after the Nuremberg Acts. But Jewish, the culture in Germany was a culture of not having guns. And so, and it was a systematic thing. It wasn't anything that just happened, boom, boom, boom. It happened very systematically, and it's like, and I don't, I'm not comparing, I guess I'm contrasting, but these teachers' unions and education officials that are doing this woke leftist policies. And I've been reading extensively now about the 1619 Project and uh, critical race theory. And in many ways, there's parallels. I don't know if you've read that stuff, Howard, or... I know. have read it, and you're right. They are clueless. Oh, very much so. But that's not so much clueless. They're, they're setting people up. There's a, there's no, it's a, pro it's yeah. propaganda. I mean, yeah. the, the, it's Gerbil. The more you talk about yeah. it, the more the, people come to believe it. The, the, big, more, yeah, the, bigger the, the more a lie is yeah. propagated, the more that lie becomes well, he knew, And he knew that. And they said, and they controlled the media. And, you know, there was, I've tried to say this before, the first people that they came for were, uh, were newspaper publishers 
and union bosses. They that's went correct. for it. If went, you read Shire's Rise in the Fall, yeah, yeah, that's right. you'll see that you're absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. That it, those are the first people, and it was the Jewish press that they went after. And the New York Times is part of the Jewish press. It's owned by Jews. The CNN is run by a Jew. NBC is run by a Jew. It's the same pattern repeating itself. And there's a, there's a tr- what's your dog's name? What's your dog's name? Bandit. Bandit. <laughs> Come on. Um, but no, it's it's all true, and it's repetitive. And over the weekend, you know, I was you know I was show prep, and I'm seeing this repetitive analysis. And now these gangs simply attack Jews. They're sitting outside in New York. I don't know how many of those videos you've seen, but that's pe- the problem, Peter. They're sitting outside, but they're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I I did see one person swung back. Yeah, I did see that guy, and they they put him on the ground and pounded him. Exactly. Yeah. So so what about the rest of the mob? Why didn't they swarm yeah, them? That's it. I mean, people will, I don't know how many times you've been in the middle of something when it goes down bad, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's, but it's a quandary, but I was, we were talking about it, and I said, this is, here we are at 2021, you know, 1931, um, what, what were they beginning to do? The beginning of, it doesn't happen until the jump across takes place after the Reichstag fire, but... It's already being fermented by the by the brown shirts, and well, Hitler Hitler was able to form a, a semi-military op, uh, organization in Bavaria. Well, the brown shirts, sure, of course, and that's yeah. what gave him his power. Oh, that's what they were. That was, yeah, that was Ernst Rome and I don't. Uh, Howard, it's a great call. Thank you, man, for kicking it off. Great call, Howie. That's the reaction to what I think is very bad conversation. Eric called. He's black conservative. Again, what the Jews should do, how they should think. It could be Peter Boyles or Marjorie Taylor Greene. And the worst part is that Boyles has sold out and given up his opposition to the big lie, entertaining Lauren Boebert. He loves Lauren Boebert. He loves the new ladies of the Colorado GOP who all ran and won on conspiracy theories. He won't confront them about that. He has on Katie Hopkins now. You know, Boyles is from Pittsburgh. And Charles Grodin, who I wrote about in the Colorado Sun, is from Pittsburgh. What a great man he was. Boyles has grown up to entertain Katie Hopkins, who, in the wake of the massacre of over a dozen at the Tree of Life Synagogue on a Shabbat morning, Katie Hopkins tweeted that it was the rabbi of the synagogue to blame because he had sermonized aloud events in that synagogue that talked about being nice to other people, people who are the others, immigration rights. And she tweeted that out in the wake of that massacre. And there I was at 710 KNUS. Nobody had me on their show to express how Jews feel about a Trump supporter on immigration coming in with a big assault weapon to blow away a congregation. But I was not surprised. I'd already sized up those guys. And you're either with Trump and his brand of, yes, racism, or you're not. I keep going back to when I interviewed Spencer Haywood, and I said, I think Spencer, I think Donald Trump is a racist. And Spencer said, you think? Anyway, Spencer Haywood was hot back in the day. 
Now it's Nikola Jokic. I want a colorblind society. I think I hear racism, some anti-Semitism, but I leave it to you, the listener, and thanks for listening to this, my monologue this week about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Denver's own Peter Boyles. But what's happened now is this, these gangs attacking Jewish people across this country. And I asked the question, what does it mean? And if you're a Jewish man or Jewish woman, what are you saying to your kids? And how are you dealing with it? Um, because that was one of the, you know, I mean, it's, it happened, it's happening in London, happening in Paris, happening in California. And it's very orchestrated. And they target Jews eating dinner or working areas known to have high numbers of Jews. And they jump these guys and beat them up. They're beating them up for, you know, these are, who knows who they are. Uh, but, you know, Antifa characters, perhaps, Antifa acting characters, um, Black Lives Matter. That's, you know, there, there's, a, there's a streak in those guys. And I wonder if, as, you know, as, as Jewish guys in Colorado, Denver and Colorado, what are you doing? How do you feel? How are you reacting to this? And the other part of it is, and this is down to sort of nut cutting time on the ranch, but every Democrat in the delegation in Colorado, DeGette, Perlmutter, Nagoose, and Jason Crow all voted against, all voted against this missile protection for the Israelis against these terrorist rockets. Now, we can argue the politics of it, but as a, there wasn't one Democrat that crossed over. On the other hand, Ken Buck, Lamborn, and Lauren Boebert all vote in favor. So now you're a Jewish guy going to the polls. And I would suspect greater than 90% of Jewish voters vote for Democrats. And it's like, same thing you can ask about black guys. I mean, you, you go yep. vote for a Democrat. And, and I'm one of them. Oh, I know. But and I'm Republican, yeah. I, my point is, you know, these are the people who are wrecking your action. You know, these are the people that are on the other side. You just don't know, but it's age old. There's so many, it's so age. many Jews, too, that vote for Democrats. Sure, of course. Oh, overwhelming. Unconscionable. Overwhelming. Yeah. Going back, you know, it goes back when and the same thing is true with FDR. FDR was the first guy to really openly embrace African-Americans and his wife did a wonderful thing. And then, of course, they put, you know, there's the Jewish guys come into the cabinet and they get on the Supreme Court. And and so there's and then after the war, when the dust settles and they see the camps and I, it's it's complex. But I think there are moments where it doesn't the past isn't going to matter as much as what you're going to do now. Eric, thank you. 303-696-1971. New column's up. Uh, 710K U.S. forward slash Peter Boyles. Thanks for a couple of nice remarks on lab mice and homeless men. John Steinbeck, right? Mice and men. What do you do? I mean, these people are staking out Jewish guys and beating them up. And if you look at it, and here's, this is ammo for Priscilla and Christy Burton Brown. But, like I said, Attention, Colorado Jewish voters, eh, eh, eh. instead of going, well, let's deal with something else, some ridiculous in the cloud thing. I worry for this country, especially in the wake of the vote, where we cannot even get a bipartisan commission to investigate January 6th. A Jewish guy named Chuck Schumer, that's all you need to say to have talk radio say, we don't care what he has to say. We know where he's coming from. He's a New York Jew. Yes, he is. And I think we should all listen to what he had to say in the wake 
of this vote this week and the consequences for the Republican Party and the rest of us. The big lie right now is winning in the Republican Party. Peter Boyles folded like a cheap suit. Listen to Chuck Schumer. This vote has made it official. Donald Trump's big lie has now fully enveloped the Republican Party. Trump's big lie is now the defining principle of what was once the party of Lincoln. House Republicans canned Congresswoman Cheney for the crime of telling the truth that Joe Biden is president. Republican state legislatures seizing on the big lie are conducting the greatest assault on voting rights since the beginning of Jim Crow. Republicans in both chambers are trying to rewrite history and claim that January 6th was just a peaceful protest that got a little out of hand. And now this, a partisan blockade of a simple, independent, bipartisan commission. What a shameful episode for our country and for the party of Lincoln. Shame on the Republican Party for capitulating to Donald Trump and giving up the truth. Same for Peter Boyles. You cannot be calling out the big lie and then entertain the big liars in their agenda. It just will not work. Not for me anyway. Thank you. Shame on the Republican Party for trying to sweep the horrors of that day under the rug because they're afraid of Donald Trump. Our democracy has long endured because leaders of good faith, even if they disagreed even at political cost, shared a fidelity to the truth. Not so today. Wow. I graduated CU Law School in 1981. And now here it is, 2021. I'm coming up on 40 years. It's flown by. I keep learning. But I know things. And I'm available to be your lawyer. I have a great law firm behind me. Springer and Steinberg. We do it all. 303-861-2800. 303-861-2800. I look forward to speaking with you. Every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Colorado time, I publish a new podcast. Get it straight right then to your smartphone. Please subscribe. Thank you. It's an honor, a privilege to welcome Executive Director of Giffords, Peter Ambler. Thanks a lot for being on this show, Peter. Of course, it's my pleasure, Craig. I think most people remember Gabby Giffords. I certainly do. I've admired her heroism. I took note of her when she was a congressperson in Tucson, and uh, then she got shot down in a supermarket parking lot. How did you know Gabby Giffords? I worked for her at the time. I'd actually started in her office just about five days before the shooting. Uh, I still remember the phone calls and the notifications. It's a, a shock and a sort of source of devastation that all too many people in this country know. People who know people who have been you know, killed or injured in acts of gun violence. Of course, Gabby wasn't the only victim that day, though she was shot through the head, 
from three feet away and obviously uh, made a miraculous re recovery and went on to serve her country in new and important ways. Um, but there were six people who died that day, including my colleague, Gabe Zimmerman, who lost his life. Other colleagues of mine, including Ron Barber, who went on to secede Gabby in Congress, was, were, were, were shot. Um, uh, 19 people um, were, were, were shot that day. And it uh, was the beginning for me of a journey that allowed me the privilege of being able to um, advocate for laws and policies in this country that would prevent acts of gun violence like that from happening in, in the future. Wow. Your fifth day on the job. What had attracted you to Gabby Giffords? Tell us about your life growing up and why you decided to get into politics in the first place. Uh, well, uh, interesting question. Um, originally from El Paso, Texas, and I landed in Washington, D.C. for college in Georgetown and just sort of got sucked in uh, to the black hole of everything that was going on in politics, right? Um, you're sort of that, that close to it. Sometimes it can't help but pull you in. Going to Georgetown, I wanted to maybe be a journalist or, you know, do things involving international relations. But with uh, the Iraq war, which I sort of felt was unjust, and, you know, the 2004 election cycle with uh, George Bush up for election, um, I thought that, you know, politics was where some, you know, a, a young person could make a big impact. And I ended up in that direction, uh, working in campaigns and then for many years in, in Congress. Um, and then in 2010-2011 was fortunate enough to be offered a, a, a legislative director job by an up-and-coming young congresswoman from Arizona, a rising star in the party, the only Democratic woman that in 2010 had uh, uh, won in a uh, district that John McCain had had, had won, um, somebody who was destined for a great thing, would she be senator, governor, president? So, you know, I was obviously really excited to join Gabby's team and help her with her own sort of, you know, dedicated brand of public service. Married to an astronaut. Don't leave that Mary out. And married to an astronaut who I only ever met after the shooting, actually. Um, and, you know, you know, talking about Mark, about Captain Kelly, you know, you really, um, you know, somebody's character and their leadership abilities are tested in, um, in, in moments like that. And, you know, the way that, you know, he you know, protected his wife, he took care of Gabby, that he helped make good medical uh, decisions on her behalf is, um, you know, she, when she was in critical condition and throughout her recovery, you know, really taught me a lot about leadership and public service. And I tried to emulate that as much as possible. She had come to my attention as a member of my tribe. I'm a Jewish guy. She's a Jewish lady. And she's proud of that. And I'm proud of her and her strength coming back from what would have knocked a lot of people out and dedi dedicating herself to this important cause. Does she talk about her faith? Uh, does it help sustain her? Uh, she, she, she does. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not very, I, I'm, I'm not religious myself. I'm not Jewish, but um, her Judaism is very 
important to her. Um, she does. Um, she she studies the Torah with her with her rabbi on a um, pretty routine basis. It's uh, she she does that along with with Rabbi Aaron and also with a um, group of friends in Tucson um, who are you know reacquainting themselves with uh, their faith and religion. So it's been uh, really amazing to watch Gabby sort of commit herself to yet you know, one more, one more thing on top of her advocacy, on top of her work at her recovery, the physical therapy, the speech therapy, her music therapy. Um, she is committed each and every day to, you know, tackling something new, you know, um, improving herself and then, of course, uh, improving the world around her. Tell us how she's really doing. I mean, shot through the head and sort of like Tiger Woods, we all hope that maybe he'll be able to play a tournament again, but how realistic is it given the level of damage to his body? But then Gabrielle Gifford, she seems to be with it, smart, but you tell me I'm not around her. I I just admire her fighting spirit. How is she? How's her attitude? Well, I mean, fighting spirit is, you know, it's nail on the head. She's somebody, you know, she doesn't do setbacks. She always says move ahead. Um, you know, when she's when she's talking about her her recovery, she'll often she'll often say something along the lines of you know, um, you know, like a new Gabby but a better Gabby, right? Um, you know, she's left um, with some you know pretty grievous injuries. Uh, the bullet went through the left hemisphere of her brain, which left her largely paralyzed on the right side of her body. Um, you know, but she's attacked that paralysis with hard work. Um, she spends hours in the gym, you know, doing just like crazy, like superwoman type stuff, right? You know, like chained to tires, dragging them across the floor, like working with like heavy weights um, and all for these, you know, incremental improvements, things that we take for granted. She works so unbelievably hard for, you know, like, for example, the amount of, you know, time and effort that she put in at the gym. Um, and doing other physical therapy just to be able to lift her right arm another quarter inch off the side of her body um, is just so inspirational to me because she's somebody who knows whether she's talking about her recovery or her advocacy or creating the change that she wants to see in the world that you know little things add up and if you put one foot in front of the other each day um, you're going to end up, you know, having covered a lot of distance um, over the course of your life. And that's what she's all about. Um, she also suffers from a con- condition called aphasia, um, which uh, makes it a challenge for her to you know, speak and communicate. Um, you, know, you know, cognitively, intellectually, she's, you know, this, the, uh, the, her, her sh- the shooting didn't affect her. But, you know, she has this extremely frustrating condition called aphasia, which, you know, just you know, makes it hard for her to come up with the words that, that she wants to express. And for somebody who had the quote unquote gift for gab, you know, that's uh, remarkably, that's, you know, incredibly frustrating. Um, and, but, you know, true to form, you know, over the years, she has put in, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours in speech therapy, uh, music therapy that helped her um, you know, communicate better. She does, you know, hours of therapy, even more, uh, more, more homework, 
Um, and it's just so inspirational to watch her, you know, make these, you know, incremental improvements each day, each week, each month, each, each year. And yeah. I'm proud of her. Yeah. I mean, how inspirational. A little over 40 years ago, a little over 41 years ago, a disturbed Colorado guy with a gun went to Washington, tried to assassinate President Reagan, shot his press secretary, James Brady. And then despite his injuries and ultimately it killed him, the cause of death was John Hinckley not long ago. But in the interim, he advocated for common sense gun reform, and he had his spouse alongside the great Sarah Brady, and James Brady himself came to Colorado in 1993. I'm sitting in my studio with a picture of me shaking the hand of James Brady. I would think he's a role model for Gabby Giffords. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think you know, um, he's somebody who, um, long before she did, turned... Uh, tragedy into advocacy, advocacy into change. Um, and, you know, their example is inspiration for Gabby, for, you know, anybody who's, um, you know, been set back but decided to move forward. Um, and, um, you know, having their, their example um, really gives Gabby and all of us in the gun violence prevention movement a template for how to be successful. And uh, a big part of that template is persistence. Um, you, know, you think about the, the, the Brady bill passing. Um, it was voted on and voted down, um, I don't know, like seven, eight, nine, ten, I forget the exact number of times, but several times before it was ultimately signed into law by President Clinton. And, you know, that's something that um, we are always keeping in mind, even, you know, on this most difficult of issues with gun violence spiking, with the shootings rising. Um, you know, we have a long-term strategy for progress. We've uh, achieved a lot in terms of shifting the politics and articulating a message that unites this country around gun safety, passing over 400 pieces of legislation in the states. Um, but there's a lot more to do. And uh, the tragic consequences of the inaction of Congress are evident every day in places like Colorado know um, the cost of uh, gun violence all, all too well. Um, and uh, But we have hope and faith that um, ultimately and in the not too distant future, we're going to uh, pass significant legislation that's going to save thousands of people's lives. I love that. I like persistence. What a strong word. And you know better than I do because you are on the front lines as executive director of Giffords, which is dedicated to common sense gun control. We'll talk about how people can get involved in a little bit. But you can't give up because I've been a part of this for a long time. And I've heard people say there are so many guns. Everybody's got an AR-15. It's beyond our control. And I heard that 40 years ago. And you can't do that. You have to be persistent. And I believe it will hit a tipping point where we all say, what are we doing? And people say, Craig, if Sandy Hook wasn't a tipping point, if Gabby Gifford's getting shot and a federal judge getting killed and lots of other people and the Boulder King Supers, but you know what? They all add up. And at a certain point, maybe it'll be an event, 
or his speech. Did you hear Gavin Newsom speak out yesterday? I thought he was speaking straight from the heart and was very eloquent. How about you? Absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, you make a very powerful point about the need for persistence because, you know, a lot of people look at the NRA, they look at the gun lobby, and they think that their products are, you know, guns and ammunition, right? Their chief products aren't guns and ammunition. They're, it's fear and hopelessness. And their whole strategy is built around making people scared and telling them they need to buy guns because they're scared or they need to pose particular type of politician because they're scared. Um, but, it, but, but even more than that, it's hopelessness. Um, and, you know, the idea that, you know, gun violence is impossible to, to solve, that it is a natural phenomenon like a wildfire or an earthquake or a hurricane or a tornado, that gun violence cannot possibly be the fault of, the, of uh, easy access to firearms, that it must be um, you know, mental health and poverty and bad parenting and social media and violent movies and video games and so on and so forth. Um, which, when you think about it, is ridiculous because here in the United States, we're running a natural experiment um, compared to the rest of the world. Uh, we are the only nation that combines uh, wide and easy access to firearms with, you know, very little uh, laws that pr protect us from, you know, people who do have access to guns. Uh, um, you know, there are other countries that have lots of guns. Um, there, and but those countries have strong, strong gun laws to provide a modicum of public safety. Um, and of course, uh, you know, violent video games isn't just something kids play in the United States. Um, it happens all over the world. Mental illness is something that affects people regardless of nationality. Uh, so, you know, you really do have to point the f finger at our failure in, in policy um, as the, you know, cause for our nation's gun violence epidemic. It, it could not be more obvious. But yet yeah. there are people with vested interests like the National Rifle Association here in Colorado and I imagine in Arizona and all over the place. There are even gun groups to the right of the NRA. But let's not let the NRA off the hook. Man, they've done a lot to destroy America, in my judgment, to throw in with anti-American interests like Russia. I just could not think less of the NRA, but apparently a Texas judge beat me to it. What's going on with the National Rifle Association? Well, this all originates, of course, from their own corruption and venality and the legal consequences of it. Um, we, I'm sure, have all been following the work of Tish James, New York's Attorney General, and Carl Racine, the Attorney General in Washington, D.C. Um, they've brought a number of legal challenges to the NRA uh, based on uh, their conduct as non a nonprofit organization. Um, the NRA decided that they didn't like their chances um, being held accountable by public servants like Tish James and Carl Racine. Um, so basically what they tried to do was fake a, fake a bankruptcy um, and use that as a predicate uh, to move locations, uh, in this case to Texas, in order to... 
and avoid accountability for all their lies and fraud. Who would have thunk it that they're dishonest? Do I have yeah. it right? <laughs> that's, that's more or less. And then, uh, you know, a mediator comes in and basically calls BS on their on their bankruptcy claim and says, you know, you can't use um, bankruptcy to wiggle out of uh, your uh, the, the, the accountability that you must face um, from the law in New York State and Washington, D.C. And then you got this guy, Wayne LaPierre, who's been the head for a long time, who buys suits about as expensive as Paul Manafort suits, right? And, and he, he's going all over the world on the NRA dime, nonprofit money, uh, people throwing in their annual dues to finance Wayne and his wife going to Africa. If you want to get sick, I don't advise it, but there's video of them shooting 50-some-year-old elephants, bad shots, going up to them while they're dying, and Mrs. LaPierre saying, oh, you were a good boy as the elephant writhes in its final agony for the satisfaction of these crude, disgusting people. Did I explain it accurately? Uh, more or less. And I, and I think what you touched on before was the, the, self de- the self-dealing that Wayne LaPierre and his cronies at the NRA are guilty of, um, you know, for years before um, we founded, uh, before we founded Giffords in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook shooting, the NRA was the only game in town. Um, they weren't confronted by the left. They weren't confronted on, on their right flank either. Um, and they got fat and lazy. Um, so that's why you, you know, flip through Wayne LaPierre's depositions and you hear him talking about, well, he needs to fly private because it's the only place, the only, only way he can do so safely. The, he literally said that the only place he felt safe in the world was on his private luxury yacht. Um, and, um, and that's the source of a lot of the NRA's, uh, troubles. They've, been on the wrong side of policy. Um, they have, you know, fomented extremism um, and you know, generated a lot of uh, unnecessary anger and fear and division in, in, in this country. But they've also sold out their members. Um, they've asked like regular working people for forty hundred uh, more dollars at a time, and then, like you say, blown that money on you know. Uh, lobbying, influence peddling, expensive suits, fancy vacations, and you know, in the case that you mentioned, flying, um, you know, flying down to Africa, going on a big game hunt for a vanity television product that they understood after it was filmed was too gruesome to release as they had intended. Um, so it's just you know a sickening you know, clown show of a corrupt crime syndicate. Um, and, you know, their influence is waning. That that's, a, that's a good thing. But, you know, Americans need to understand that um, they're, they're down, but they're not out. Um, and uh, something that's interesting that's happening is that, you know, as their influence recedes, um, some of the scary... Um, elements of the gun lobby uh, and the far-right pro-gun movement become a lot more evident. One of the things that the NRA did over a number of years was to sort of mediate the conversation between the you know extreme pro-gun right and the rest of um, uh, American society to make it seem a little bit more palatable. 
think about Charlton Heston, right? Um, being the face of the NRA. Um, but, but today the face of the NRA is angrier. Um, it is insurrectionist. It is racist. Um, and they fundamentally, along with uh, most people in the Republican Party who are elected as, Republican, as, as Republicans, just have no answer for this epidemic of gun violence that we face as a country. And that's the most important thing because um, we, you know, we can hate on the NRA as much as we, we, we want to. But ultimately, we need to be uh, focused on reaching, you know, real Americans, actual NRA members who are a lot different than the NRA leadership, gun owners across the country. Um, in an effort to uh, hold our politicians accountable if they refuse to pass safer gun laws. But what is the prospect of reasonable gun owners of America emerging? I'm not holding my breath for that. And it sounds from your talk like the radicals are ascendant on the right. Um, well, the radicals are ascendant on the right, but American gun owners are not radical. American gun owners are just like the rest of Americans, 90% of whom support policies like universal background checks. And Gabby herself has actually been going around the country at first physically, now more virtually, uh, 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 virtually and soon sort of in real life, in person again, organizing tens of thousands of gun owners um, in, in an organization called Gun Owners for Safety. Um, that's going toe-to-toe with the NRA over the question of what you gun owners stand for. In Colorado, for example, we launched the Colorado chapter of Gun Owners for Safety now uh, about three years ago. Um, it's led by a gentleman named uh, Ben Como. Um, he is a uh, you know, longtime gun owner. Um, you know, these, are, these are folks for whom gun owning is a part important part of their lives and identity. Um, but they just uh, think it is crazy that the NRA dominates the conversation when it comes to representing gun owners when they know, we know, everyone knows that um, the vast majority of gun owners, um, you know, they might like their guns, but um, they know that there are no, it's not a false choice between, you know, the Second Amendment and safety and that we need to put in place common sense gun safety measures like universal background checks, like anti-trafficking statutes, um, like extreme risk protection laws um, in order to protect kids and communities from gun violence. And that's been a really exciting development here because for you know decades, for 165 years, the NRA spoke monolithically for gun owners and that's no longer true. Because um, Gabby, you know, she's a survivor of gun violence. She's also a gun owner herself. And that's a really important message to the rest of the country. It is. But I worry that Donald Trump is joined at the hip with the NRA. And he's going to say, look, that Tish James in New York who had it in for the NRA. Of course, she's going after me because she really wants your guns. You know he's going to say that. And it doesn't resonate with me. But Trump still dominates the Republican Party. What do you and Giffords do about that? I mean, we, we, we speak the truth. I think that, you know, regardless of whatever alternate reality that Donald Trump and his allies um, will be able to create um, where, you know, lies are considered the, the, the truth, the NRA is not going to be able to escape whatever legal accountability um, it has coming to it. Um, the you You can't create a you can't just push away the legal consequences that 
they they might be facing. And I guess now you're talking my language. I'm a lawyer, (laughs) and uh, I like it. I like to think that truth comes out in courtrooms, and that will be the Waterloo of the NRA and Donald Trump. But there's one witness who I'm confused about. Ollie North, is he a good guy or a bad guy in this drama? Uh, in, in the NRA drama? Yes, um, in the NRA drama. Oh, there, there, there are no, there are no good guys. Um, yeah, you know, there, there was not to get. Is he a less? Is he a less bad guy? It, it, it's, it's more about this competition for, for resources, right? Like, who's going to get the provisions and the sinking ship? Um, there is, uh, you know, there are legal disputes between, um, you know, one. Uh, you know, uh, sort of group of NRA leaders, uh, you know, associated with uh, Wayne LaPierre, and then another associated with uh, the NRA's former consulting partner, uh, a firm called uh, Ackerman McQueen. And they're essentially fighting each other for control of the NRA as an organization and the largesse that um, that comes with it. Um, and all these no, wait, is- let's just let's just luxuriate in that fight between Ackerman and NRA because they were in bed together for what about 25 years. This Wayne is like Lafayette. bad divorce. They all know each other's secrets. Wayne Lafayette. Exactly. I mean, they're, 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 <laughs> um, there there are no secrets there. It is a lot like a divorce. Wayne Lafayette, um, the the brands, the the image is, you know, wholly a product of you know decades of um ackerman mcqueen pr work um so yeah they, they obviously know where all the skeletons are and the bodies are buried um which is, they buried them yeah. they, they did a lot of the burying right and they and you know they, so everybody in this um uh, i'm trying to think of like a television show that is like a good analogy but ultimately there, there there are no good guys in, in this equation there's um only you know folks with uh yeah, you know, the competing interests. how about yeah. the sopranos okay yeah, let's go we, <laughs> we might like tony soprano better than somebody else but who knows here's the world i was a part of and i think the nra and the gun industry corrupted it and that's talk radio i've seen the advertising that gun stores do in local markets and they get business out of it and then it keeps feeding on each other and it's more of a loop am i onto something that you've noticed as well peter ambler i i don't listen to a ton of talk radio so i i can't be i i can't um i i can't attest to your claim but i don't i don't doubt it i mean i've worked in politics for a long time and remember um the rise of conservative talk radio in the 90s and the aughts um and have no have no doubt that um you know some pretty extreme views around guns may have infected the discourse on that medium but it's about money and uh, radio likes money we all like money i refuse to do ads for gun stores because i didn't want somebody buying a gun because of me and I didn't want to vouch for any gun stores. And I've seen what some of them have done around here. And I'm glad I did not. But just in general, firearms, it's big business, especially recently. And isn't that part of the problem? They they have an interest in uh, saying everything's fine. Keep buying guns. Yeah, it, it, it is a business. Um, you know, the NRA um, doesn't go out there thinking about the interests of the regular American gun owner. If they did, they would 
fundamentally be on our side when it comes to policy because that's what gun owners want. Um, they're uh, carrying the water for the big manufacturers, the, uh, the folks who are making you know money hand over fist selling um, you know uh, more and more lethal guns. And that is one of the drivers of the you know problem here. The country as a whole is getting less rural, more urban and suburban. Fewer people buy guns for um, hunting and other outdoors activities. Um, so the NRA is sort of, you know, being put in a position where they need to cr create new markets for gun ownership. Um, that's what started their shift decades ago towards sort of self-defense as um, a uh, as, as a marketing scheme for gun ownership, um, telling all Americans that one, they need to be scared, and two, they need a gun to defend themselves, even though, um, you know, uh, bringing a gun into your home can be one of the riskiest things that, that you do for you and for you and your family, especially if you're not trained, if you haven't gone through proper instruction, if you're not storing your weapons securely. Um, but nonetheless, that's um, what the money dictated to the NRA that, that they do. Um, and then it's also driven the NRA to, um, uh, you know, sell more and more lethal weapons. The, you know, assault rifle is, um, you know, the product of uh, uh, the, you know, the the need for a new market. Um, you don't, you know, the when you're a durable uh, good to a, you know, limited uh, market, um, you quickly understand that it's much cheaper and easier for you to sell um, the next gun to a current gun owner than the the first gun to a new gun owner. Right. It was some guy named Joe Biden said, you can do just fine defending your house with the shotgun. And uh, he was kind of ridiculed for that. And it's, it's like golf club manufacturers. They want to sell you the newest golf club every year, right? Yeah. So you always have to create that next new thing um and oftentimes that um that sort of uh which is really a marketing strategy um manifests itself um in sort of greater lethality and dangerousness um and then of course more guns flooding the market where you, you didn't need all these guns now we have such a surplus I understand and I think you do the right of self-defense especially if uh Police aren't nearby if you're properly trained. But there's another group of people with guns who say, we need this kind of weaponry to fight the government because the government is going to be tyrannical and they start tossing around terms like tyranny and tyrant. And those people are hard to reason with. Am you're I right? You're absolutely right. And we don't talk about that enough as a country um there are some you know relatively mainstream elected republicans who take this radical interpretation of the second amendment that uh is completely ahistorical and wrong-headed but that stipulates that the like you said the um that it is the right of americans um to use guns to quote unquote defend themselves against a tyrannical government. And the question I have is who decides when the government's tyrannical, especially um, in the politics of today with such polarization, the heated rhetoric where 
you know, uh, just very normal policy propositions are labeled with uh, pretty extreme rhetoric around like socialism, communism, and um, you know, tyrannical government control, um, which you know leads, I think, a lot of the you know, I don't know, uh, more unhinged actors uh, gives them a permission structure to create. Uh, to, to you know to create some pretty violent um, conditions and right. that's that's really problematic you know a lot of people in this country got worried about the uh, threat of insurrection on January 6th those of us who have been working in the gun violence prevention movement and have been you know head to head with the NRA and their allies on the right um, saw this coming long before right if you found a company uh, that a guy started called Tyrant Arms LLC. Why don't you say, hmm, that's a clue that this guy may be part of that radical, we're going to fight the government with our weapons, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if you know, you look at January 6th, um, you know, they detained very few people in the Capitol that day, but they nonetheless recovered, you know, many weapons and uh, thousands upon thousands of rounds of ammunition. Um, there are others in the vicinity um, who may or may not have entered the Capitol, who we now know, um, you, know, uh, you know, at least uh, had access to, to, to arsenals. Um, right, and, and let's not forget the Proud Boys leader got stopped on weapons charges before he could participate. And in a strange way, I think that maybe Washington's tough gun laws might have ameliorated the terrible situation that a few people thought twice about bringing guns. Absolutely, because um, you know they put themselves uh, because of those gun laws, which you know prohibited people from walking around arms in in Washington D.C. Um, you know, folks who would have otherwise entered the Capitol armed to the teeth, uh, ended up uh, not not doing that. No, there were still people with guns in the Capitol that day. Um, the threat was likely a lot less severe than it might have otherwise been without Washington, D.C. stronger gun laws. Of course, that's not the only Capitol. What happens in Texas? What kind of law did Greg Abbott just sign in? Anybody can carry a gun anywhere? No Permit. training? No per nothing? Permitless carry um, in a state that is rapidly changing politically, that has um, encountered hor horrific acts of gun violence in my hometown of El Paso, El Paso. and Midland, Odessa, and other places, mm -hmm. Sutherland Springs, uh, Santa Fe. Um, we saw, um, um, yeah, the, the, the governor, after paying lip service to reform after El Paso, um, uh, you know, uh, supporting a piece of legislation that's going to allow, you know, anybody to carry a gun out in public, loaded and hidden uh, w without any permit from the state whatsoever. And that means that um, people with no instruction, no training, no oversight whatsoever are going to be allowed to carry guns. Um, unfortunately, we already know what happens when laws like that are passed, and that's that there's more violence. And in states that have adopted similar statutes, you've seen about a 15% spike in violent crime. And sadly, we have no reason to believe that uh, that or worse um, isn't going to um, happen now in Texas.
Did you have occasion to hear Tucker Carlson say that AR-15s aren't really that powerful and that you need something more powerful if you're going to go deer hunting? He was belittling people's fear of AR-15s and other assault weapons. What's up with that guy? Um, your guess is as good as mine. Um, he's obviously uh, cultivating an, an image in a market for himself. Um, but it's just sad. He's obviously somebody who doesn't know what he's talking about when it when it comes to firearms. And you know, you don't need to look at you know gun owners themselves or survivors of gun violence um, to you know need to look farther than those two groups to find you know the, the real experts in guns and gun violence in this country. And um, you'll find you know many of those people attesting to the tragic lethality of. Uh, AR-15s. Um, well, I, uh, I do know David Kopel. I've debated him many times. He's a Second Amendment expert. He makes it a rule of thumb that he won't come on in the wake of a tragedy, which means you can almost never come on because there's so many mass shootings anymore. But I know his arguments. I respect him. He's one of the cooler heads, and he'll condemn Dudley Brown and people like him. God bless him for that. But he'll say, Craig, the AR-15 is so ubiquitous. Heller says that you can have guns of common type like an AR-15. What are we going to do about Heller? Is that where the court needs to be bigger? Well, you know, you, you know that you're um, a really respected constitutional scholar when you're taking the getting the toothpaste out of the tube approach um, to interpreting the, you know, the, the, the Second Amendment Heller and um and assault rifles um in any case uh you know you know heller is um you know a law that you know doesn't really get in the way of you know common sense gun safety regulation um you know i i'm, I'm not a lawyer myself so i'm not going to get into you know if it's rightly or wrongly decided um i i do know that we have an epidemic of gun violence in this country Forty thousand people a year basically die from easy access so to guns. So stipulated. Does Gifford yeah. support an assault weapon ban? Uh yeah. I you know we um you know we what what we believe is that we should um tackle assault rifles in the same way we've tackled uh, that we've tackled other particularly dangerous weapons in this country through application of what's called the National Firearms Act. Um you know you have uh things like machine guns and silencers which are guns or, you know, firearms implements that, you know, contribute to lethality, right, in an extreme way. And you don't, in this country, hear a lot about machine gun violence, right? Um, and you don't... Or, or bazooka violence. Or bazooka violence, or you don't see a lot or of crime... Or mortar violence. Yeah, exactly, and you don't see a lot of crime happening with silencers. Or and hand that, grenades. Yeah, and 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 that, but that for the you know machine guns and silencers and sawed-off shotguns and things like that, these are um, weapons that are regulated under the National Firearms Act, which is essentially a stronger, stricter uh, way of regulating the gun. You can still get a machine gun if you want, and you can still buy a silencer. You just have to go through a couple of extra steps, um, and those you know couple of extra fairly easy steps is what ends up. Uh, keeping us safer from uh, machine guns and, and and silencers and other implements and guns that are covered under the National Firearms Act, which is how we know as a country that uh, that you know safer gun laws work. 
right? The NRA tells you that, oh, uh, you know, criminals will get guns anyway, so therefore gun laws don't work, which is like a uh, stupid, silly, and obviously incorrect argument. Um, but there is plenty of evidence just in the history of the National Firearms Act to show you that there is a straightforward, effective way to regulate guns in this country that keeps us safe because the guns that are covered by the National Firearms Act, which just means you got to get, um, you know, a uh, you go through the National Firearms process, get an extra check from the government um, and beep, beep before you get your gun, that that keeps us significantly safer. So we believe you apply that to guns, uh, uh, you know, to other particularly lethal weapons like, you know, assault, assault rifles, AR-15s, um, that AK-47s. Right. We had an yeah. assault weapon ban for 10 years. And uh, that was sort of the outgrowth of Brady. And I'm hearing, no, there won't be an assault weapon ban, but is John Cornyn from Texas maybe thinking about people from your native city of El Paso and Will he cooperate on universal background checks? I'm hearing whispers that that's a possibility. Do you believe it? Yeah, he's definitely raised his hand as somebody who's um, interested in finding a solution. He has worked with us on uh, legislation to improve the NIC system, which is the National Instant Criminal Background Check System in the past. Um, and he, I think, is legitimately interested in finding a solution Um you know, he did have uh, the El Paso shooting. He did have the Midland Odessa sh shooting. Um, and he, I think he's somebody who understands politics as well. Um, you know, you look at Texas as, you know, a state where people think, oh, it's the Wild West. You know, it's, you know, people there love their guns. The opposite is true. Um, we have the new polling that shows um what other polls have shown time and time again that texans um support uh universal background checks to the tune of 80 90 percent and more than that are really angry at the status quo and willing to vote politicians out of office texas is headed into a perpetually purple uh perpetually purple territory i think colorado is actually kind of like a good example of the direction that uh, Texas is heading in, right? You know, historically, right, and all those Texans keep coming to Colorado too. So we've got to do that. But more people from California. But you're right. We've gone from purple to blue now, thanks to you know who. And uh, and so, well, how do you see the future? You know who and uh, everything else. Um, uh, well, I think the, the future with regard to, to, to your what? issue, to, to guns. And yeah. I, because I, I honestly see that uh, the guy from Mar-a-Lago is going to say, no, you're not going to do that, John Cornyn. And you're not going to agree with the Democrats about anything. And we're not going to have a January 6th commission. And we're not going to pass any gun laws or voting laws. And eventually, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Mansion and Cinema to get rid of the filibuster, and then gun laws will pass, and then who knows what will happen in the midterms. But you're the guy with all the know-how. You work in this world. Play that out for us. Yeah, I mean, I am. I'm optimistic. Um, you know, we have Democratic trifecta control um, of Washington. You have an issue: gun safety, universal background checks. That is actually. Um, 
the issue that unifies Americans more than any other. You look at other elements of the Biden agenda, not, not a single one of the other elements of the Biden agenda is as popular as what we're pushing in Congress right now. H.R. 8, the Bipartisan Background Checks Act, passed out of the House of Representatives um, earlier this year with more Republican support than any other sort of significant um, bill in the Biden era. Um, and you're right, you've got you know conservatives like John Cornyn who are actively looking at a way to move the background checks issue forward. Um, you know, it is of course hard and Washington is uh, divided very, very narrowly. Um, re Republicans in general um, are, you know, retreating to their partisan camps. Par polarization is a big problem for our country. We're getting torn further and further apart. Um, and that, you know, makes it harder to get some Republican senators. But the flip side is this, um, that um, we have done on our side and the gun safety side a very good job at speaking to the vast majority of Americans about the need to address gun violence and stronger gun laws and background checks specifically. And um, Republicans are in a place where they do fundamentally not have an answer on gun safety. Um, these shootings continue to happen each and every day across the country. Um, and Republicans don't really, you know, have a way of explaining to the American people, to their voters, um, what they're doing about it. Now, is that a problem in their primaries? No, it's it's not. But if they want to continue to win elections in states like, you know, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Colorado, Arizona, Nevada, et cetera, et cetera, like, you know, this sort of sunbelt um, um, swath of states that is becoming more dominated by you know suburban voters who are sick of their you know kids going through lockdown drills, their workplaces getting shut up, the day-to-day -day gun violence, they're going to have to have an answer on gun safety, and I think that's why you're starting to see more movement right now in the Senate uh, towards some sort of compromise that could possibly get 60 votes. I like your optimism. I like your organization, Giffords. How can people get involved? Um, it, it, it's easy. I mean, the, the first thing you ought to do, of course, um, before you do anything else is call your representative, call your senator. Uh, doesn't matter if they're, you know, already in the tank for us or already in the tank for the, for, for, for the other guys. Like you, you got to let everybody know, um, and anybody that's elected to represent you where, where you stand. Um, anytime you have an opportunity um, in a town hall, um, in an election cycle, at a fundraiser, to ask a question of somebody always that care about this issue, ask them about guns. Let them know that this is something that you care about because, you know, salience is vitally important, right? Um, we, right. We, don't, not, we don't need to just win the, um, the, you know, the public opinion game. We need to, you know, shoulder our way to the front of the line to make sure that after decades of inaction, something happens on gun safety. And then, of course, uh, go to Giffords.org, uh, sign up to help, you know, kick us, you know, 20, 30 bucks. Um, and uh, if you're a gun owner, join Gun Owners for Safety. All of this uh, information is available at Giffords.org. Sign up for our text list or email list. We'll give you the sort of action alerts that you'll need to be able to interact with your members of Congress and others. Um, 
and uh, otherwise, you know, just grateful for the millions of Americans who have signed up to um, uh, to, to support us in, in this fight, um, and specifically to your listeners in Colorado who have shown in a relatively short period of time the type of political change that we need and are capable of in this country. Um, in 2013, one of the first things that we helped do was pass gun safety reforms um, uh, in uh, the then purple state of Colorado. John Hickenlooper, then governor. Right. And was, it led to some backlash recalls triggered by talk radio. We remember it well, but the, thank God we're blue now. And uh, the, the far right gun people, they are on the fringe in Colorado, but they still dominate the Republican Party. That's right. So, and I think that's a problem that the Republican Party is going to have to contend with because um, we need to be very clear about our strengths here. The Demo- Democratic Party is united, assertive on this issue of gun safety. Uh, you know, during my time working in Congress, they were not, right? Um, not, mm-hmm. you know, you, the Democrats were split in half on, on the issue of guns. When I was, um, you know, I'm working in Congress. I remember, you know, 2009, 2010, Barack Obama in the White House, a 60 vote uh, uh, filibuster proof Democratic majority in the Senate, a big majority in the House. Uh, not only did Democrats not do anything on guns, they didn't even try. There wasn't even a discussion. It was um, thought that Al Gore lost because he was for gun control, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we had we sort of bought that hook, line, sinker infected with that mythology, which wasn't even really true to begin with. Well, hopefully we reach a tipping point, just like with other social issues. Like, what are we doing? Let's get a grip on this. People of goodwill, like Peter Ambler and Gabby Giffords and Captain Mark Kelly, Senator Mark Kelly, I admire you guys. Will you tell Congresswoman Giffords that we love her, we support her, and I think you're a great cause proud of what you do well thank you and uh gabby and uh the team at giffords will be in colorado soon i'm sure and um look forward to working with y'all um on the ground in real life as opposed to just uh, virtually but thanks for having me on you're welcome he's on twitter at peter m ambler and uh, i'll post anything i get from giffords on my twitter site craig s colorado thank you peter Thank you. You bet. Bye. Bye. Gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. 
Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. So that is our show. I hope you appreciated it. I hope you liked it. Dave Gunders, my troubadour, our troubadour, you are fantastic. Thank you for Chopwood Carry Water. Thank you to Peter Ambler, a new friend from Giffords.org, and Scott Levin, an old friend from the ADL. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show. Mm-hmm.